Hey, girls and ghouls. Welcome to Slashers Prefer Blondes, a podcast where three brunettes talk the kinds of movies that bite, scream, and slash. I'm Natalie. I'm Heidi. And I'm Laura. And today we're spilling our beans and unpacking a tale of two wikis in Robert Eggers' 2019 film, The Lighthouse. This one is Heidi's pick. So Heidi, do you want to go ahead and explain why you chose The Lighthouse for us to talk about today? Yeah. Unlike The Innocence, which is really, you know, kind of near and dear to my heart, I just picked this one because it was buck wild. And I remember <laughs> watching it. I remember watching it in theaters and being like, I don't, I don't get it. And walking away really confused. And I can't think of two people I'd like to try to riddle this out with. And, you know, you guys are the best. Oh, that's yeah. so kind. I mean, it is buck fucking wild. Yeah. And I also, when I saw it the first time in the, in the theater, I was very perplexed. And I had like kind of, yeah. I got a vibe from it and I was vibing with it, but I, I didn't yeah. really know what I was seeing, really. I just knew that I liked it. Was the vibe that you got gay? Was it a gay vibe? <laughs> it actually, you know what? It actually wasn't as much the first time around because I think I was just trying to understand what the hell was happening. Yeah. Not knowing that I really, that that's kind of a task that I just wouldn't achieve really. Like there's kind of no sense in trying to find a definitive interpretation of it because I think it's so open that mm-hmm. you can pretty much make an argument as long as you have some sort of evidence. But I, yeah, the first time around I was just so kind of disoriented yeah. That it really took me a couple more watches to be like, oh, this is really gay. Like, it's really it's so gay. It's not even really subtext. I'm going to be real. I remember because I also saw this in theaters and I remember while I was watching it also being kind of confused. But when I rewatched it recently, all the stuff that I remembered was the really gay stuff. So like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what stuck with me. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about this with you guys today also. Yeah. It's a very different experience watching it at home versus watching it in the theater, in part because subtitles. And also, yes. like I, I feel like the aspect ratio didn't hit as hard as it did when I was in the theater. Like it mm-hmm. felt so much more claustrophobic yeah, when I was when I was like sure. in the dark. But at home, I was like, all right, you know, this is whatever. Yeah, I get mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was like a really good one to see, actually, in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. But it still translates really well to an at-home viewing. Oh, for sure. It's so pretty. Yeah, especially the formal elements, which is kind of where I'd like to begin. But once we start, like, once we get into it. Yeah, because I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. Before we actually get into this movie, I really want to know what everyone's favorite line of insane dialogue was. (laughs) Because the dialogue in this movie is phenomenal. And literally, their accents are so funny. (laughs) Yes. And yeah, the way they deliver the lines makes it even better. Especially Willem Dafoe. I am a Willem Dafoe stan. Yes. So (laughs) I... (laughs) How could you not I think that he is phenomenal in this film. And everything he says is like genuinely gold. (laughs) This is true. Yeah. So what's everyone's favorite line? Mine's like later in the film, I think. And it's Robert Pattinson's character, and he goes, if I had a steak, I would fuck it. 
<laughs> I like the way that he delivers it too because he's yeah. not just like I would fuck it. He's like if I had a steak, I'd fuck it. I'd fuck it. Yeah, so, and it like comes out of so nowhere good. too. Yeah, and that leads into like one of the best lines in the movie. One of the other best lines in the movie. You don't like me cooking. Yeah, <laughs> you're saying you don't like me lobster. <laughs> that was good. Thanks. You can do the voice. I'm, li- I'm living. <laughs> well, okay. So, do you want to know What's my yours? favorite line? What's yours? Mine is three words. You goddamn farts. <laughs> <laughs> and you goddamn farts. That is I not my favorite loud. line. I told everybody, <laughs> listeners, I told everybody that was going to ask this question before we started recording. And Laura was like, I bet that the one I'm choosing is the one that you chose. And I was like, I think the one that I'm going to choose is really obvious. And it was not that one. (laughs) (laughs) I just love everything about it. That he actually said it. I love that they acknowledged. Like, they put the farts in, but then they also acknowledged it. (laughs) I mean, he farts so much. It's incredible. It begins within the first, like, three minutes with a fart. I think he's peeing and he farts at the same time. Two of them. There's two. The fart count. Honestly... My grandpa does that. Like, when I'm around oh. my grandpa, he just farts all the time. That's horrible. And, like, he doesn't acknowledge it. He doesn't? It happens. It's been like oh. that since I was a child. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shame on your grandpa. It's, uh, I know. Again, another just, like, unexpected thing that you're just like, what the fuck? Like, they put yeah. this in that movie? Mm-hmm. Well, I saw this. I saw this interview with Robert Eggers where he said that... He was talking about the witch and how like that movie is so serious and so like self-important. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he was like, there's kind of like an immaturity mm-hmm. in how self-important it like the importance yeah. it puts on itself. And he was like, I wanted to do the opposite with this movie. And he nailed which it. Which I think he accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Because mm-hmm. I feel like it's still like it's still like a kind of like serious film, but it doesn't feel like it takes sure. itself as seriously as the witch does. Oh yeah. 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 I will say I love the witch too. I don't love the witch. But you know what? Actually, if I watched it at home with the subtitles, I would probably like it a lot better. I did. I liked The Witch like amazingly more watching it with subtitles. That's good. Yeah. I feel about both of these movies roughly the same way, which is that I think that they're very, very good. But I will never just like watch them of my own accord. Yeah, you don't watch these movies for fun. Some people do. I mean, Some I had a good time. Do. I had a good time. I'm not one. But of I those. also like the kind of like fucked up psychological stuff that's going on, especially do in this you- one. Oh, I was going to ask, like, what would you categorize this film as? Um, Can I say what my favorite line is? Oh, my God. We totally <laughs> just breezed by that, Natalie. I'm so yes. sorry. Yes, please. I am like, you guys just like forgot about me. We love you. I'm so sorry. We love you sorry. so much. We want to know my what your favorite, favorite line, line is. My favorite line is when they're fighting. And Robert Pattinson just goes, that's after the lobster comment. It's like in the same argument when Robert Pattinson goes, oh, don't be such an old bitch. <laughs> that is a good one. Actually, that, that is. is really obvious in retrospect. <laughs> oh, isn't it? Yeah. I was in the theater and I lost it when that happened. I was like, oh, don't be such an old bitch. We literally left and we were in the car and I said it like five times on the way home when I was talking to Alex about it. I was like, this is so funny. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> what is that your uh, scene is comedy gold. What's your alternative line? Yeah, what was your line? When Willow Defoe goes, Did you mop these floors? And he's like, Yeah, I did. And he goes, Tis begrimed and bedeviled. Fantastic scene. Also great. And I'm like, yeah, okay it is. Sure it is, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
is begrimed and bedabbled. Begrimed and bedabbled. The way he delivers those monologues too, so fucking so great. Good. So good. It's very Shakespearean. I love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I would classify this probably as psychological horror. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like one of the primary themes in this film is definitely madness. Yeah. And oh yeah. It's inextricable from the narrative from the beginning. So mm-hmm. absolutely. And one of the things that like you know that calls into question is everything that happens in the movie basically like Mm -hmm. from the point where they start to drink heavily on i'm kind of sitting there like well can we even trust anything that happens after this point because it's kind of like from the beginning yeah even right because we do have an unreliable narrator so it's like how much of this can we trust how much do we need to infer how much can we infer it's yeah it already kind of disorients you yeah yeah and i was surprised like how much of the sort of disorienting aspects of the film I didn't even notice the first time I was watching it. For example, that scene where Robert Pattinson's like, well, it's only been a day since the people yeah. that have come. Mm-hmm. And one was like, it's been a week. I didn't even notice that the first time <laughs> oh my I watched God. it. <laughs> I want to talk about that later. Yeah, I was like, so gosh. much to unpack. <sighs> yeah. Willem Dafoe, Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like, we don't even, really, we don't know anything about these characters. We know what they tell us or and what they tell each other but at the end of the day it's right it's like you can't you cannot determine who's telling the truth who knows the truth Mm -hmm. if there is a truth all that well if anything the idea of telling the truth is posited as a negative thing like i mean why just just spill your beans beans? why just spill your beans don't fucking trust (laughs) me with your shit i don't want to hear your horse shit he's like the worst therapist in the world he's really the worst as you can tell, listeners, this is already going to be a wild conversation. Uh, do we want to talk about the formal elements before we get into the narrative? And the yeah, summary? I think that would be fun because I genuinely, I think this is one of the most gorgeous films that came out yeah. of 2019. It is. It's so beautiful. And honestly, like the second and third times around, I, I'm almost kind of thinking that one of my favorite elements of the entire movie is the sound. Just the ambient, just the ambient sound that places you in the setting, like the beginning with the foghorn, which is so ominous. Oh my god! I actually love that sound. I love the sound of a foghorn, oddly (laughs) enough. But like the seagulls squawking, the waves crashing, Mm -hmm. the wind, the creakiness of the quarters of the shanty, uh, the ticking clock symbolizing the passage of the farting, the The farting, the peeing. And the rain. So it's all kind of like combining to convey a real sense of isolation and also this yeah. harsh, unforgiving environment that they're in. For sure. For sure. I was really, really struck by the shot composition and the mm-hmm. way that, honestly, just like the production design in general. I thought that this small little world they created was so like yeah. sparse, mm-hmm. but also visually mm-hmm. interesting. And the way that he uses the camera to create those claustrophobic moments, I think it's just so good. Mm -hmm. I also really, really like the amount of times you see, like, things paralleling each other or, like, stuff divided by something. Yeah. The way that we're always kind of, the eye is very much so guided in this film, and I think it, like, Mm -hmm. just works very expertly. I think that Eggers did a really good job of building upon what he already started doing in The Witch, Mm because, like, it had wonderful cinematography in it also yeah and like wonderful like a visual like mise-en-scene all that stuff like looked great in the witch but i think that all of that just kind of gotten 
refined even further for this film. Yeah. You can tell that he's like, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, with the cinematography, the long shots, the long establishing shots that really yeah. kind of hit home this desolated, isolated area, very remote. Um, and yeah. also the mise-en-scene with the the very Spartan living arrangements that kind of mm-hmm. fall into complete disarray. And that kind of reflects mm-hmm. the increasing conflict and the psychological mm-hmm. unraveling that's going on. I loved mm-hmm. watching it just become absolutely destroyed by the storm. Yeah. They're just sitting under the table drinking turpentine. Mm-hmm. And just like fucking, it's basically out of it. I also really, really enjoyed the moments of the film that felt very classic and very like old. Like a lot of it was shot kind of in a way that reminded me of like a silent movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that establishing shot of the two of them standing there where the camera's a little shaky is a really good example of that. And then the scene where Robert Pattinson is looking out into the water and sees the logs. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. The way that those pulled forward was very yeah. cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it felt yeah. very yeah. made, if that makes sense. And like created. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of worked in the narrative a little bit because that made it kind of feel dreamlike. Yeah. One of the things that I really appreciate is like this film is long, but like every scene seems important. Like, it all just kind of, like, comes together and it just tells, like, a really interesting story where not a lot happens, but a lot seems to happen. That's, mm-hmm. like, my favorite kind of movie. <laughs> if it has good character development, I tend yeah. to go for that. I was thinking about that while I was watching it the second time because I was like, this movie is too long. And I was like, I don't know what I would cut, though, because I think that everything they mm-hmm. have in it is worth exactly. it. Yeah. Sure, like, sure, I'll, I'll agree with you. Like, yeah, it is pretty long. It's it does long. start to drag a little bit, but, like, what would you take out? I, I don't know. Like, I genuinely don't know. Yeah. Probably just the bits of him, like, performing various chores, maybe, if anything. But that's, like, passage of time. You have to show that. It, also, it is. Like, yeah, I know. Then, I kind of like that they're showing that because then it makes you kind of wonder, like, is he bad at his job? Oh, we well, see him oh, working yeah. all the get time. To that. I mean, it also is like it's <laughs> like he's doing yeah. everything. He's doing yeah. everything. That brings up the question of like I-, I peeked at Heidi's notes. Like, is the logbook correct? Is it accurate? Is yeah. is he slacking off on the job or is Wake lying? I marks like, on me logbook, lad. Them's gospel. <laughs> I fucking them's love gospel. that line too. Them's gospel. <laughs> okay, girl. Them's not. Them's gospel. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention is that. You know, the first time seeing it, it's filmed in black and white, obviously. And I didn't really think about it much. But the second mm-hmm. time around, I was like, oh, like, this kind of makes sense. I think the term is chiaroscuro, which is used a lot I know in you're yeah. noir films. So it emphasizes the contrast between light and dark. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that makes sense because this movie's kind of like, it's like underscoring the thematic balance or imbalance between light and darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And lots of shadows play into it, which goes along with my overall interpretation, which we'll get to later, but I appreciated it much more after I thought about what mm-hmm. it's supposed to emphasize. You know, for sure. Yeah, I really, really like the way this movie looks. Which is end of statement. Should we start the summary? Oh my yeah, god. I think we should just dive in. Um, okay. Listeners, this is a very long summary. Because it <laughs> needs to be. We're doing this thing this time where we're going to go through it with long with the summary again, but this time we're going to go in depth to the summary because we think that that's kind of necessary. So if you have watched the movie recently, awesome. If you have, 
I would recommend that if you absolutely. Um, <laughs> absolutely recommend that. You might be like, okay, well, I just watched this. I know. But <laughs> we, so did we, <laughs> want to make sure that we're hitting on a lot of this stuff because there's just so much that happens. Yeah. Even though nothing is really happening. <laughs> it's kind of like one of those where you almost have to rewind and watch again to make sure you, you saw what you actually think you saw, kind of, mm-hmm. or like heard what you thought you heard. At yeah. least in my case. I was just like, did I really just see that or hear that? Like, what did he just say? Yeah, no, so. there were a couple of times where I rewound it like three or four times to figure out what they Same. said and then did a bunch of research <laughs> on what they were talking about. Because I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is a cistern? So I looked that up. Oh, I know yeah. a lot about lighthouse cisterns now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And le- did you say lead poisoning? You were researching? Yeah, I looked up lead poisoning too. Because <laughs> oh. I was like, could he have lead poisoning? Oh. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, he's definitely going to And honestly, tetanus. he might, because what he was doing in the cistern was putting chalk in it to counteract lead poisoning. Damn. Oh, I actually didn't know that. I thought he was... Okay. That's what that is. It's I chalk. I really... I thought he was pouring yeah. salt in it. Nope, it's chalk. I didn't... I, I it thought up. it was some sort of treatment. I got it confirmed from the director. It is chalk. <laughs> it's chalk, which is what they used to do during the time period to counteract lead poisoning. There's Damn. also, like, mold and shit in that... Thing. so and he's like drinking it for the first part of the movie so like who knows what the fuck is going on inside of him at the beginning of this this actually explains a lot yeah i mean it could it could it contribute could. to you it don't know but yeah. it, it it's worth noting i mean is he drinking it though because we don't actually see him ingest it well he uh, isn't drinking alcohol until it's the implied quote, unquote, last night he has to be drinking something, so it's so he has to be drinking something. So I think it's water from the system. Well, what if he is drinking the booze? Well, I I think that they would make that more obvious because Will yeah. Defoe straight up says, "It's your last night. You might as well drink now. You can't get in trouble." Right. I think that they were kind of coding Robert Pattinson's character to be like an alcoholic, like a recovering yeah. alcoholic. I mm-hmm. agree. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a huge. Trying to sow that's a huge part of, the of doubt. Film. I mean, we already have enough of those with this. <laughs> this is not our conversation on the innocents. <laughs> okay, I think we should probably just get into it then. Let's let's do this. All right. Thomas Wake, a veteran lighthouse keeper and his partner, Ephraim Winslow. Wake and Winslow arrive at their isolated post where they will be stationed for four weeks. As Winslow looks around the lighthouse, he discovers a locked cabinet before heading upstairs to the sleeping quarters. After trying to lay down on the bed, he finds a carving of a mermaid has been buried in the mattress. I do like this first scene where they walk into the sleeping quarters for the first time and they're divided by that pillar in the middle of the room. Mm -hmm. It's so Mm -hmm. good. You just see the stream of piss. Yeah. (laughs) And then the farts. He literally farts right in Winslow's face. Yeah. My... One, two, three, fourth note is men are gross. Yeah. Oh, I actually wrote a note. Did you did you guys get like the vibe of this? When they first get on the island and they're just like staring at the camera for what feels like forever. It really reminded me of like World War II footage. Hmm. I didn't get that. From like documentaries, how like it's often just like these static shots of soldiers just staring at the camera. Hmm. I don't watch a lot of World War II documentaries. To be fair. I don't either, but, like, the ones I've seen, that's the vibe I get. I don't know. Listeners, listeners, what do you think? Do you think it's like that? Yeah. Thanks for letting us know. Throw it over to you. 
But I do love that shot. You know, I love how it's kind of it's straight good. on and mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe, uh, Wake. I'm just going to call him, I'm going to end up calling I'm him I'm going to keep Dafoe. saying Willem Dafoe also. Wake just, you know, is looking very steadfastly at the camera and, you yeah. know, unflinchingly. And Winslow's just kind of like looking around, kind yeah. of unsure of himself probably. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do like when they're walking up the shore and you see the two, the two people they were leaving yeah. coming down. It's just a cool little exchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, wow, other people. Do Wake and <laughs> mm-hmm. Winslow carry the stuff together walking up? I think they each have their own stuff. Oh, okay. Because the, the guys that are leaving are like team carrying something. I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's cute that they did that. I know, because I was going to say that's actually interesting if, they, if Wake and Winslow weren't doing that, because that's very much a theme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next paragraph. All right. That night over dinner... Wake makes a toast to their good health for the next four weeks. Winslow declines, despite being warned that it's bad luck not to finish a toast. Beginning of the end. (laughs) (laughs) Winslow throws out the alcohol, believing it to be against the rules of lighthouse keeping. But the water he pumps from the cistern is foul, and he spits it out. I think that what's interesting about the scene, before you start getting into the duties, is that immediately like it's the first scene we see the two of them talking together it's like immediately mm-hmm. we have a power struggle so like oh yes right off the bat wake is like hey have a drink with me and Winslow's like no i'm not gonna do that that's against the rules actually and then wake gets pissed yeah and then robert pattinson has i didn't to take you for a reason water yeah. yeah and then he's like immediately like hey yeah the cistern's fucking nasty that's your job also this is all the other mm-hmm. stuff that you have to do this is what you have to do for me. Yeah. And then he's like, call me sir. It's all. I, like, sir. <laughs> yeah. Like he says, yes, I, sir. sir. And he goes, I, sir. And he goes, I, sir. I noted that too, because I thought, yeah, that's the beginning of the power dynamic. It's definitely mm-hmm. establishing roles and who fills what role. I also like the line where he says, see to your duties. The light is mine. And that, that's mm-hmm. the beginning of that too. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the duties that Winslow's going to have to do include cleaning the clockwork, maintaining the lighthouse and cleaning their quarters and everything that like doesn't have to do with tending the actual light all belongs to Winslow. Wake is only here to tend that light. And that means, I don't know, like, fuck it. I don't like, (laughs) yeah, we're about to get to that. (laughs) Yeah. Who fucking knows? Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we quickly realize why Wake is so territorial of this light. And that night, he tends to it naked and toasts to it, calling the light me beauty. <laughs> so question. Yeah. Why Why is he so territorial? I know that's kind of what the movie's supposed to be about, but I'm still not quite clear on why he is so against Winslow going up there. Because he's ma- he's married to this here light, yeah. I mean, I and she's that. been a finer, quieter, truer wife truer than wife. any live-blooded woman. <laughs> I mean, I, I get that, like but a, still, a legitimate theory about that. Okay, that's what I want to know. Yeah, it's it's for the end. I was gonna mm-hmm. say at the okay. end. Okay, okay, that sounds good. But like the whole time, I'm like, I get, I get that he's very territorial. He doesn't want yeah. to go up there. You know, there's something going on his relationship to the light. I just can't put my finger on it. It's like, it's well, like but he does mention, he does mention that the other, his former keeper, his former like assistant person, mm-hmm. his number two wiki, he does mention that he thought that the light was like enchanted. He thought the island was enchanted. And like the light had like held some magical power in it. 
Yeah, yeah. and it, it held salvation of some sort. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not saying he believes that, but, like... Well, Wake yeah. makes up some excuse about, like, it's the it's the hardest watch. Like, the one that I'm going to do is, like, the hardest watch during the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have to be up all night. He also says that Winslow has the dog's watch, or the dog watch, which I thought was interesting, too, using the term dog. I mean, that's probably what it's called, but also that is a recurring... That, that's a motif. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't like being called a dog. No. So Winslow actually sees wake standing there while he's outside walking by the shore and is really confused he's just like standing in front of the light like he's sunbathing it's so weird yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that's kind of the first shot where you that's kind of the first what the fuck shot in the movie yeah Mm mm-hmm and it happens so early, too. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. shit's weird here. Like, immediately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> immediately, shit's You're weird. You're like, oh, that's strange. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's about to get weirder. Oh, so much weirder. <laughs> Could you imagine walking into this movie and not really knowing anything about lighthouses at all and be like, wow, that's what they do up there? Apparently. <laughs> get we do, drunk. We do, we do sex magic here. Ooh. <laughs> they get drunk and masturbate. Pretty much. It sounds like a normal Friday night to me. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Keep reading. Winslow looks over at the ocean and he sees these out of place large tree trunks that start to eerily move toward the shore. And as he wades into the water towards them, he discovers the body of a blonde man. And when he slips into the deeper water, it gets weirder because underneath the surface, he sees a mermaid or siren who like screams at him. This is why I looked up how fast it takes to get lead poisoning. I, I, I figured as soon as you said that, that you started looking at that, I was like, oh, this makes sense. I was like, is he fucked up from, like, day one? To be fair, he's obviously, like, going through it. Like, he has PTSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's clearly experiencing some trauma, but, like, what's the mermaid thing? Well, he found found the mermaid. Well, yeah, but, like, he wouldn't just hallucinate that immediately. Well, if you got got mermaids on the brain. Can I? Well, I'm not sure if this is the best time to talk about this, but I have a theory. I feel like it's tied to the homoerotic text Mm. of the film okay i kind of think that the mermaid is like is a like a displacement technique like i wrote this down i said that this is like the driller killer in slumber party massacre 2 it's like a displacement of his sexual desire because as i watched it the third time i noticed that images of the blonde man i guess his old foreman are often paired with the mermaid yeah, you, you I... see a shot of him, and then you see a shot of the mermaid. Mm-hmm. I noted that too, but not specifically about the mermaid, but instead about the tentacle motif. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's fair too. Yeah. I mean, they're all they're all kind of intertwined there. They go hand yeah. in hand because mm-hmm. he sees the tentacles again when he finds the mermaid on the beach. Yeah. Yes. So I was kind of thinking like the mermaid or the siren is kind of supposed to be the symbol of seduction, and yeah. because it's often paired with the images of the blonde man, it could be him trying to kind of reconcile his sexuality or sexual desires. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I, I mean, I would 100% agree with you. I love that. Yeah, you can actually buy the little mermaid figurine oh, on so like, like the A24 website. 
Maybe. I mean, <laughs> I, my, my idea was like to cosplay as probably uh, Winslow. Cosplay is Robert Pattinson masturbating in a, in a shack. Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally appropriate. It's fine. Absolutely. You won't get kicked out of Comic-Con. <laughs> yeah, and like another tidbit about that is I read that originally in the script, they were going to have, they described the lighthouse as an erect penis. Oh, I read yeah. that too. In the script. And they were going to have a shot, like a what do they call a cross cut. Yeah. yeah. Or like a matching shot of to, like, Robert dick. Pattinson's actual erect penis. But they cut that yeah. out. So, cowards. He well, would have done gonna, it. You know he would have done it. It was going to be paired with the lighthouse actually, like, moving. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Dick imagery is really I think here. that a lot of that isn't just about the homoeroticism, too, because there's a lot of mm-hmm. Freudian interpretations in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. That's valid. Well, yeah, that's basically my interpretation of the film. I went very psychoanalytical with it, so we'll get into I'm it. I'm not shocked by that. But I read that Carl Jung was a huge influence on mm-hmm. Robert Eggers and his brother, who both wrote the script. So I was like, okay, we're doing this. So that's yeah. we'll yeah. get to that, like I said, but definitely lots of psychoanalytical shit going on. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about that. Okay, more summary. When Winslow wakes back up, he is back in his bed. And Wake immediately orders him to fix the leaky roof after he cleans the cistern, and Winslow gets to it. His attempt to make the cistern water drinkable doesn't seem to make much of an impact. You see the water, it's like... Okay, every time they show the water, I feel like I'm missing something in it. I don't know if the first shot of it was supposed to be kind of like a Rorschach thing, like it's swirling in all these different patterns, maybe foretelling the coming of the storm. I don't know. I think it just looks pretty. <laughs> but they definitely made like the ominous sound when he's looking at yeah. it. Yeah, because that water is hashtag unsafe. <laughs> what are you talking about? Whatever he's drinking in that water is probably killing him. I mean, that's valid. And no amount of chalk. They just linger on it for so long. I'm like, what am I missing? The only thing I noticed is that it's kind of swirling in a way that indicates like a storm system. It looks like yeah. a storm system or something. When I when I was looking up that stuff about the cistern and I found the interview with Robert Eggers about what he was dumping into the cistern. And he was like, he's dumping the chalk in there to like clean it. But he sees yeah. how disgusting the water is. Mm-hmm. And we're lingering on it. And it's still kind of beautiful. But like, it's like actively gross <laughs> it's very it's like you can't gross. you can't purify something that is that yeah. contaminated kind of well, yeah and it's so dark like when it's they so... show like shots of the ocean the ocean water is yeah. not as dark as that cistern is let me tell you that looks yeah. black as night it's disgusting mm-hmm. down the mm-hmm. gullet <laughs> Dude, I wish that we were, like, drinking, and every time Laura made a funny comment in that accent, we would just, like, do a shot or something. We need, like, a super cut of that just to promote this. I would just start talking in that accent if I knew that was going to happen. I'd be dead. Dane just Heidi has no tolerance. (laughs) No tolerance. Make the waves. Make the ocean caves our graves. Ocean caves. Why do I go Irish every time? God, you God, you're a mess. The surges, the something surge. No, the surges roll. Maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. Dane to save a suppliant soul. <laughs> Dude, you were to four so weeks. Good at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, okay. Anyway, 
Anyway, yeah, the water, so, yeah, the water's gross. Water's gross. And then, so after he tries to fix the cistern, he goes up to fix the roof. And he is able to see through a small crack in the roof. And Wake is just like humping the bed. This is one the I rewound shot. to rewatch. The sh- of course you did. <laughs> the shot is kinky. The shot is so good. I love the like vignette effect on it. Yeah. And I love the light on his ass. Yes. <laughs> this is like the most silent movie. Like it's like a zoom in a little bit. And Homeboy's yeah. wearing a onesie and he's like ass out. He's like cheeks out. <laughs> he just likes the draft. It's- it's yeah it's really i don't i genuinely don't know why that's in there unless it's just contributing to the like possible relationship between them where he's kind of i mean yeah yeah it definitely i think it's like a dual reason one is i think it escalates the homoerotic tension and two i think that it plays on like the isolation aspect of it because like that's something Mm -hmm. that would be happening when you're alone on an island you know what i mean yeah we're seeing robert pattinson masturbate like every five minutes not and every five minutes. It happens twice, but <laughs> we're also seeing him fantasize about things, and yeah, yeah, like you know, you know, he's masturbating more than they're showing us, and they show it twice, and that's yeah. a lot yeah. for a movie. So, yeah. like, and, the end, at the end, they even reference, like, in his logbook, he says something about constant he's always relieving himself in the shed. shed. <laughs> self yeah. abuse in the shed. It says self abuse. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Oh, boy. Honestly, though, like, that was one of the reasons why I was like, maybe he's telling the truth. Like, <laughs> Honestly, we'll get there. But yes, I kind of yeah. think he is. I, I think Robert Pattinson's fucking losing it. Yeah, I agree with that. But I don't know. It's hard to say. Anyway, Willem Dafoe is just straight up humping this bed. <laughs> yeah. Very, very tenderly. Oh, very yeah. Very generously. It's, it's like, I don't think I noticed that the first time. Actually. I did not. You didn't I notice didn't. that he was humping the bed? Probably not the first time that not I watched it. Not the first that. time around. No. I, w- I was just too distracted by what the fuck was going on. Yeah, it's just like the shock of it the first time you see Honestly, it. You're like, that was that was one of those things that I was like, clocked, gay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. watching this movie and I was, I was like, I'm looking for masculinity critique <laughs> and I'm looking for homoeroticism. And boy, yeah. do I tell you. That both those things paid off for me greatly. Yeah. Yep. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely. So Winslow continues his daily tasks and he's interrupted by a one-eyed seagull who bars him temporarily from entering the shack again. Does it really realize. have one eye? I did not I, notice that. It does have one eye. I didn't oh notice God. that. I didn't realize that until I read your summary. Yeah, same. Mm. Same. I noticed it the second time I watched it. I was like, oh, it has one eye. And I was like, oh, I get it now. That is fascinating. That's, so, that's like so lit. I did it not. Is. I have to stop saying lit. It, it has. <laughs> like, I think it technically has two, but one's always closed. Oh, well, oh, that's two. different. He's winking. He's like one-eyed. He's like a one-eyed he's, seagull. He's coy. Okay, because if it's really one-eyed, I was like, is that the soul of the one-eyed well, second? Yeah, it, that's what it is. Seagull in the lighthouse. I'm Googling it. Okay. I'm pretty sure it has one Images. eye. Yeah, no, it has one eye. Okay. Okay. The one-eyed seagull, he manages to scare it off and moves on to carrying this insanely heavy oil barrel up to the light. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a lighthouse. Listen, I have, but there's a lot of <laughs> stairs. <laughs> yeah, sorry, like, I just, I just heard Laura go. I have. <laughs> I, felt I did so too. Proud. 
I did too, and I was like, I should respond, but I was too busy. Well, I was like, mom. When I, I was younger, and I remember they had like a some sort of signage that said like, if you have a heart condition or something like that, don't come in here. Don't try to walk yeah. up these stairs because you will literally have problems. Yeah, they say that at the Statue of Liberty too. That, that makes sense. sense. I don't yeah. think I've never been to a lighthouse. So I don't really know how big a lighthouse is. They're big. I know. I think it makes sense that they would be big. Yeah. Like I've seen mm-hmm. the fog, mm-hmm. and I've, I've seen, seen like ghost hunters. I've mm-hmm. seen like the ring. Yeah, and there are lighthouses in those movies, and they're big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might depend. I don't know if there's like a standard size of lighthouse, but it might depend on also where it is and like what kinds of sense. ships it'll be directing okay. not directing so, but yeah i just googled this the tallest lighthouse in the world is 271 feet hmm. so i googled how much a kerosene thing would weigh Ooh. and it's about 48 pounds and he drags this giant steel container up all of those fucking stairs yeah without like a back brace or anything yeah well He's Safety using his he's using his legs up. though, you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he sure is. Dude, my back hurts. Lift with all your the legs. <laughs> and I don't even have to drag up kerosene tins up a lighthouse. So he he gets all the way up there and he's like, Oh, there's the light. I'm gonna go try to go in it. And just as he thinks about it, Wake appears and he gives Winslow an oil canister. And well, chastises no, he, him. He, he appears and he's like, don't go in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he says, catch your breath, laddie. That's right. Catch your yeah. breath, lad. So fucking passive aggressive. God. I said, catch your breath. You a dullard. <laughs> yeah. That was going to be my other one, but I thought that was rude. You fooled you me. You a dullard. You sure fooled me. Slam. So, yeah, he gives Winslow this oil canister, which honestly, why didn't he give that to him before? Oh, he, he wanted to see knew. him work. He, he was waiting for him for to it. get to the top of the lighthouse. He was sitting up there like, I can't wait for this asshole to get that oil up here so I can give him this little fucking oil can. Is this like hazing? Probably. Uh, it's, yeah. And then he has the gall to be like, you're behind on your tasks. He has the seagull. <laughs> Hey, you're behind on your tasks because you spent so much time dragging this oil thing up here. And watching me hump my bed. Stop yeah, watching stop me, watching hump, me my hump my bed. <laughs> Tend to oh your duties. God. Tend God. to your duties. So, Winslow has to drag it all the way back down the stairs again. Which, yes, thankfully, does. we don't have to watch that. <laughs> what if he just rides it down? He just straddles it and pushes off. That'd be terribly dangerous. Yeah. yeah, he would be. Well, he would be so fucked. Yeah, <laughs> but it would be a wild ride. Am I right? He'd be very dead. <laughs> yeah, in time. In time. Probably be crushed by that. Very dead. True. Anyway, so they have dinner again, and Wake encourages Winslow to be friendly and open up before they get sick of each other over the course of their four-week tenure. I like that line where Willem Dafoe goes, boredom makes men to villains and the water goes quick. Yeah. 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 I like that part a lot. Yeah. And then he was like, the drink keeps them calm. Mm-hmm. Keeps them stupid. Stupid. Stupid, say Arpats is what I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> I like how he said that, though. And then Willem Dafoe laughed. And I was like, oh, friendship. <laughs> I'm not sure it was friendship. 
He laughs hysterically at certain parts, really regardless yeah. of what he says, kind of. I like that they're getting along sometimes, though. I'm like, okay, guys. Yes. Yeah. Good for you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Wake tells the story <laughs> about when he was working on the ship and how there was a mutiny because the crew got too bored. And, you know, when you get too bored, you mutiny, apparently. And so everybody mm-hmm. should just be drunk. Because yep. it makes you complacent. Yep. <laughs> and Winslow asks what happened to Wake's former second. And Wake explains the one-eyed man went mad, claiming he had seen mermaids and that the island was enchanted. He warns Winslow to leave the seabirds alone, which Winslow initially dismisses as more tall tales and horse shit. But Wake reaches over and slaps him right across the face and doubles down. Killing Tall a seabird and horseshit. <laughs> killing a seabird is very bad luck as they are reincarnated sailors. That was interesting because of the way Wake reacts after he hits Winslow. Like he looks yeah. very, you know, he's very ashamed of himself and kind of almost like like how a dad looks after hitting his son. <laughs> yup. Like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I didn't think about that. But yeah, he's kind of like, pay me no mind. We should just have a drop of coffee. You know, we got a long night ahead of us. Yeah. So he's very, he almost looks like he regrets it instantly. Out here, yeah. Daddy Defoe. Yeah. Yes. Kind of like, how could you, you know, he's hurting the one he loves, kind of. Yeah. You know, in that and kind of way. Winslow, like, stands up so fast. He's like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? And I can't tell if he's, like, scared or aroused. Like genuinely, this is exactly like in Twilight when he smells Bella's blood. Oh my my god! In the biology classroom. Yeah. Yes. But with more facial hair. He's like so tense. Yeah. (laughs) We should do Twilight, listeners. Do you want us to do Twilight? (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) So, Winslow's reading in bed. When the one-eyed gold disrupts him and Winslow ends up just like going down to the shed to casually masturbate to the mermaid carving. As you do. Yeah, I know. When he emerges from the shack, he sees Wake standing naked in front of the light again. And it's actually really cool because like you see the shadow this time like reflected on him. Yeah. So it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Wake does seem to realize that he's being watched and like stops. And goes to grab his clothes. Yeah, and he's, like, putting them back on when he, like, walks out on that little balcony. I mean, he did that really quickly. That was, like, a record time getting dressed. Yeah. But he's, like, looking at him. Yeah. He's like, stares him down until he walks away. Yeah. The next day, I think, Wake <laughs> chastises Winslow for apparently not doing his duties and the cleaning not being up to his standards. Tis the grimed and bedabbled. <laughs> <laughs> He threatens to dock Winslow's wages if this continues. The bad weather isn't making Winslow's job any easier, though. That's for sure. On a clear day, the two set about painting the lighthouse white to help make it more visible. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed something. I do like when he's going off on him about how gross the floors are. Yeah. Winslow goes, I'm not here to be a housewife. Yes. Then he goes, or a slave afterwards. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that I was going to say that scene is is a good one because of the confrontation that happens between them. So yeah. again, you see kind of this reinforcement of mm-hmm. the the power struggle. Yes, you see Wake like reasserting his dominance and Winslow being kind of submissive and yeah. just him really asserting himself in that way. And he's like, "You know, I'll tell you to do this and you'll like it because I'll tell you to like it." 
Yeah. And like the way that Winslow immediately genders it by calling himself a housewife is really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think it's also interesting because it feels like Wake in a lot of ways is trying to like shame Winslow. Mm -hmm. He makes him drag that huge oil thing up there and he like gives him all these duties that are like cleaning. Like you don't get to do the real job. You're just here to like. Right. He's just a dog. Yeah. 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 He's supposed to do the grunt work. And that's another way to hold power over him mm-hmm. while denying him the thing that he wants, which is mm-hmm. to, to tend the light. Yeah. The light. The light. The light. <laughs> Wake is holding the rope for this chair that Winslow is sitting in and comments that Winslow is doing a fine job and making great <laughs> marks in his logbook. And that is gospel. Lo- that is <laughs> gospel. <laughs> as he lowers the rope, he does it like really roughly and it's really choppy and it causes the rope to eventually break winslow falls who knows how far to the ground and passes out the white paint on his face jism (laughs) them's gospel (laughs) quit your flailing i ain't flailing he really wasn't though no he wasn't well, he kind of was in the sense that he was trying not to fall. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. like as much as you would expect. Like he wasn't like, whoa. <laughs> Lord. When he finally comes to on his own, because apparently Wake can't be bothered to check on him, that one-eyed seagull is pecking a hole in his pants. Like, what the hell? That's because he stole his mermaid figurine. Well, and is yeah. self-abusing to it in the shed. <laughs> it's oh, I mean, it's also probably like a warning from this sailor. Oh well, yeah, hmm. yeah. But it's funnier to think it's like you stole my my porn. It is. <laughs> Stop jerking off to my porn. Mm-hmm. Now I'll get you with my pecker. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> no! Oh God! I'll, I'll cut that out. <laughs> No, because actually that does kind of reinforce some more... I don't know why that was a slightly southern accent. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought about it, but now that you said that, that makes a lot of sense in that scene. Does it? My ugly laugh is making a really huge appearance in this episode. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad. Okay, continue. Before dinner, Winslow spies on Wake while he's writing in his logbook, which gets stored in that locked cabinet that Winslow found on his first day. And Winslow's clearly tormented by not knowing what's inside of it. At dinner, Winslow reveals that he used to be a Canadian logger, but has jumped around from job to job, never quite finding a place where he can excel. What's a timberman want with being a wiki? (laughs) Pretty as a picture. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Pretty is a picture. Only Josh and Lad. <laughs> Only Josh. That's like such a weird exchange, though. Yeah. Why would that be a joke? Yeah. Why is it a joke to call why someone you pretty? talking about how pretty he is? Oh I mean, God. he's gorgeous, but like, yeah. why would mm-hmm. you? Why? Pretty is a picture. I don't know. Maybe it's because he feels that he's kind of taking advantage of Winslow feeling more comfortable opening up to him, so he's being a little more. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the word is. Oh yeah, a bit more chummy with him, kind of like, oh, yeah. you know, we're gonna we're gonna joke around now because we're at that level of our kind we're of... friends now. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe. I dropped you I dropped you off the rope ladder 
we're friends now. <laughs> it's like third base. God. Yeah. Do you do you think that do you think that Winslow died when he fell? And the rest what if of the Winslow movie? died when he tried to uh, straddle and ride the kerosene can all the way down the bottom of the lake? <laughs> cowboy! And the rest is just his afterlife? Yeah, he I doesn't mean, realize he's dead. The lighthouse is purgatory, like in Lost. Mm. Oh my god. Spoilers for Lost. You guys got father farther than me, and I must say, father. You, you got, got father? You goddamn farts. You ain't my father. <laughs> you ain't my father. Yeah, that was a good one. You ain't the president. <laughs> you ain't my father. <laughs> he sounds like a carnival barker. Robert Pattinson. Yeah. At times, yeah. The way that I noticed it the most is in that scene later on where he's talking about his past and he's like, I'm going to save up my earnings, get me a uh-huh. house somewhere yeah. where no one can tell me mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No that was really British. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do Ain't the nothing accent. Wrong with the men starting fresh, starting new. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. The drifter, eh? Um, okay. I wish I just going to the voice. I hate this that is I can't just gonna... do the voice. Devolve, devolve into me <laughs> into me just <laughs> reciting lines so wake proudly proclaims that being a wiki is the only job for him and that he's damn near wedded to this lighthouse and she's been a better wife to him than his real one ever was a finer quieter truer wife than any live-blooded woman <laughs> so i think this would be a good time to discuss why the light is gendered i feel like it's the same way they gender boats and that's what i was thinking countries mm-hmm. yes so yeah that's definitely i was thinking along those lines too yeah and well, it like cool. re- reinforces that stereotype that like men have to like take care of women mm-hmm. but also this woman is also likened to an erect penis so <laughs> yeah that's a good point yeah i was thinking like why is why is the light his wife is it a more kind of acceptable quote-unquote acceptable object of his desire if it's gendered as a woman, Probably. maybe he wants to be married to the lighthouse because he doesn't want to be married to his wife because he's gay. Probably. Or, you know, I don't know, there's some isolation and he's at the point where he's like, I love this lighthouse. Just like Robert Pattinson <laughs> loves that mermaid toy. <laughs> it's not a toy. It's like a carving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, again, it's kind of like going back to like, is this a displacement of his sexual desire? I mean, oh, probably. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure it is in some way. Yeah. yeah, and also like there's something you said about like the way masculine identity is kind of wrapped up in the care of those around them mm-hmm. and like others, mm-hmm. and and also like the marriage relationship and that like you have to get you have to be like satisfied, you know. And clearly, the lighthouse is doing it for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. so the two continue going about their duties. Winslow maintains everything, and every night, Wake climbs up to the light and gets naked with it. Perhaps consumed with a desire to know what Wake is doing or just restless, Winslow sneaks up to the light to spy on Wake one night. As he gets close, he hears moaning <laughs> and unintelligible speech. Finally, he sees a lot of jism. Drip down through the cracks and hears a strange, monstrous sound. He steps forward to investigate, as Natalie wanted me to point out. Yeah, he steps towards it after oh, well, after all of the crap has like slipped through, and it's like an it's like a lot. 
there's I mean, he a wants lot to see where it's semen. coming from it's uh, a lot he I knows mean, where it's coming from he definitely I, knows where it's coming from he, he doesn't like step into it he's like oh that's gross and then but he he, he walks right underneath He's yeah, like, let yeah. me get right up in here. Maybe he wants there's more to see left. the tentacles. I mean, he wants genuine, to see it. Genuinely, though, if I saw that much semen come dripping down, I'd be like, "What the fuck?" Like, I mean, it's a I mean, lot. It's inhuman. <laughs> it's inhuman. <laughs> well, he does say later that he's no longer human. <laughs> But, like, it's not that much. It's so much. <laughs> it's, it's like, like he's got a whale stick. <laughs> Sperm whale specker. <laughs> anyway, so when he, like, looks up there, Winslow sees, like, an octopus tentacle slither by. Yes. Weird. Which reinforces my reading of it. I love how you guys keep talking about like your readings of it and how we're gonna get to that later. Yeah. I don't, guys. I don't have a reading of it. Okay. I watched the movie. Here's, here's, the thing. here's the thing. I just want to get this out of the way now because remember when I texted you and I was like, I think I cracked the film. I think I figured it out. Well, I did a simple Google search. I have a guess what you what your reading is gonna be about. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I felt really smart, and then I did like a Google search, and everybody and their brother knew about that. And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, well, you're cool." What I did instead of coming up with an actual reading of the film, what I did is I just wrote a bunch of themes down at the bottom of the page, and I was like, "Good, I'll watch it again." And then I didn't watch it again. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I looked up that cistern thing. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, and your cistern information is vital to this podcast episode. <laughs> How else would we know about the possibility of lead poisoning? I did not think of that. I did not. Yeah. I, I just like how he says, I like how he says, I did not. I did, did not. not. I did not. He sounds like the I guy. I did not the hit room. her. I did exactly. Not. <laughs> anyway. Okay. In the morning, Winslow goes to get water from the cistern and it comes out dark and disgusting. I originally wrote black, but Natalie corrected me that we don't know what color it is. Just because it's in black and white. True. Yeah, <laughs> true. It could have been bedabbled. <laughs> it could have been bedabbled any which way. <laughs> Upon investigating, Winslow finds a seagull has been stuck in the tar-like water and is dying. The one-eyed seagull then returns to taunt him and Winslow loses it. He grabs the bird as it tries to attack him and whacks it over and over and over again. And once it's dead, the wind changes ominously. A storm is coming. I love this scene when yes. he kills the bird. Oh Every time I watch it, I'm like, what is what is he actually whacking on that? Because it's probably not an actual bird. Of course like, it's whatever not an actual it is, bird. It looks like a real bird. And I'm like, holy shit. How did they make that? Down. Also, I do kind of want to talk for just a moment about power dynamics again and talk about the mm -hmm. bird. Yes. Because every interaction that Robert Pattinson has with the bird kind of mirrors his interactions with Wake. Mm -hmm. Because there's like him. that same sort of like antagonism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Come yeah. at me, kind of. That very first scene where he's like in the way and he's not getting out of the way. Mm -hmm. And Winslow's gut reaction to it is to respond with violence. Mm -hmm. in every single scene with the 
bird, mm-hmm. which is also in- inevitably what happens with Wake as well. Yeah. When he is confronted, he responds immediately with violence. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Men. <laughs> Masculinity. Thanks for the clarification. <laughs> So together, uh, Wake and Winslow board up the lighthouse to help the building weather the storm, but also plan a very special... I'm so sorry. I do like that part where Wake goes up and is like, dude, the wind is changing. The wind's changing. I know. Yeah. And <laughs> Winslow's like, so? You're like, thank God it's changing. And then yeah. Yeah. Wake is like, you don't know what the fuck you're asking for. This yeah. is bad. And then is like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, keep are you? Yeah, that's definitely the turning point of the film where you know yeah. it's kind of the signifier of the descent into madness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's about to happen well we have killed we have killed Chekhov seabird so like oh, shit. yeah you're right. you're right it's time it's time the bad luck is coming yep. but before that they get to have a really special lobster dinner to celebrate that it's their last night of duty before the relief ship comes Wake insists again that they must drink tonight since the inspectors always forgive drunkenness on the last night. Winslow finally gives in. They have a drunken night of fun, singing sea shanties and exchanging stories. Wake even admits that he might miss Winslow and commends him for picking up the job so quickly. He goes so far as to say Winslow may yet be a true wiki and can tend the light before too long. But certainly not this one. This light is Wake's and Wake's alone. The men wake up in the morning and the relief ship still has not come. While bringing more coal in for the fire, Winslow finds a body washed up on shore. As he inspects it, he realizes it's the mermaid he believed he saw beneath the waves. Interesting that when he finds the mermaid, she's tangled up in the seaweed. Yeah, and it's perfectly around her nipple. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At first he's like touching her and he's like, oh, look. And then he sees her like fish parts. And mm-hmm. he's like, ah! Yeah, what and do you make of that? At him. She like scream laughs, yeah. I don't know. I have like genuinely no idea. It's just a, a vision that he's having. Yeah, yeah, and it's like he's kind of aroused at first and then he's horrified that she's a mermaid. So maybe, maybe you know, because the, the mermaid's kind of associated with the old foreman throughout most of the film, maybe, maybe. it doesn't show it, but I mean, it shows it later, but yeah, maybe he kind of flashes to him at that point in time and gets kind of freaked out. I don't know. Oh, like he thinks he must be going crazy? Maybe, he's seeing yeah. mermaids? That makes sense. Because the last time he saw her, she was in the ocean after yeah. he saw, had a vision of yeah, the other guy. trauma. Yeah. So maybe he's like, since he sees her again, he's thinking back to when he had that other vision. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. It is interesting in this scene, though, that... I think this is the only time when we see the mermaid that we don't also see the blonde guy. Yeah, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that means something. Oh, uh, he's but... also like he is kind of off-put by witnessing it. It's kind of like one of those things yeah. that makes me think he's sort of seeing in a sense like a manifestation of the mysticism of the island in a way. And yeah. like that's what scares him. But like, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> yeah. He is just consistently horny and upset. And that's, like, yeah. that's mm-hmm. the movie. 
So essentially, in this scene, he's both of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That night, uh, Wake and Winslow wait on the shore of the island in the pouring rain as it begins to storm, but the relief ship never comes. They continue on in their duties, waiting patiently, but Wake storms in and says the dampness has ruined all of their provisions. Winslow, calm as ever, says they'll be fine. It's only been a day, and he'll just take the lifeboat out and look for the ship. Wake says it hasn't been a day. It's been a week, and they've had this conversation every day for a week. They need to start rationing because it could be months before the waters are calm enough for a relief ship to come. They end up digging out this box of booze buried on the island so they'll at least have something to drink because obviously you can't drink the cistern anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I I do like that that's kind of a big reality check for Winslow because it's one of the first times where, you know, obviously you get the sense that he's going mad, but as viewers, this is the first time where you're, at least for me, where you're kind of like, what the fuck? Like, how is our perception of time being distorted and who is telling the truth is... Is yeah. Wake trying yeah. to cast light Winslow? Or is he in at one point he says like someone was stranded out here for seven months or something because the waters yeah. were too were too rough. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, You're just trying to scare me. And he's like, You wish I was, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I even wrote in my notes, like, is he gaslighting him or is he crazy? <laughs> yeah. Genuinely, I don't know. Yeah. Like, are because, they like, both crazy? I don't part know. Part of me, part of me is like, there's no way it's been a week. There's no way. But the other part of me mm-hmm. is like, oh my God, what if? Mm-hmm. And I think it's very in Wake's wheelhouse to try to just freak him out like he's getting his rocks off on it. I don't think we're supposed to know. So that's the thing. Like, yeah, I, I think that's the point is that we're supposed to be totally disoriented at that point in time. Yeah, Because, you know, how do you represent someone, someone going mad? It's mm-hmm. not going to make any sense. So I think, yeah, the point of it is that it's not going to make sense and you don't you won't know who to believe because there's no way to have like yeah. an objective point of view. Yeah. And I think it also like speaks to an experience of like being in isolation. I mean, we've yeah. all been stuck at home. <laughs> like how real. many times have been like, oh, wow. What day is it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting too that Wake is pushing back on like trying to find help. In part, I'm sure because it's unsafe, but also he doesn't want to be left alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, he even torment. says that. At yeah, at the end. The film. Don't leave me. So they get drunk. Again. Again. This is like just every day. They just get shit-faced. Yeah. And Wake continues to tell contradicting tall tales about his past and how he got his injuries. Winslow tries to call him out on it, but Wake's not the only one who's been lying. While muttering to himself, Winslow recalls when he was a logger how he had a foreman Winslow that always called him a dog. And the two men launch into an argument. Winslow wishes he had a steak so he could fuck it. <laughs> and Wake is all butthurt that Winslow hates his cooking. And his lobster. And his lobster. So he does what any sane, rational person would do, and he stands up and utters a terrifying curse upon Winslow. Oh, don't be such an old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's also the voice he does in it. I Hark! Yeah, Triton! <laughs> The curse is probably my favorite scene. It's just so good. The way that it's filmed too is really cool. It's um, yeah. like a like a low angle shot, so mm-hmm. definitely putting Wake in a very superior position. Mm-hmm. And he's got like those wide eyes. He looks a little bit yeah. crazy. 
It's yeah. so- he always looks a little bit crazy. I mean, honestly, that's fair. This yeah. sequence is definitely the best, in my opinion, it's the best sequence mm-hmm. of the film. Because yeah. I really, really like the acting in the sequence. I like the way it's shot. And I really, really love just like the way the whole situation devolves. Yeah. And I also really, really like that we see that both of them are lying. Like you can't trust Absolutely. either of these people. And like they're cementing that. Mm-hmm. We hear Wake say one thing about his leg. Then we hear him say something else about his leg. We hear yeah. Ephraim, <laughs> um, Ephraim slip and mention his foreman and then just like ignore it afterwards. Like there's a yeah. lot of nobody is telling the truth. You can't trust mm-hmm. anything you're seeing. You can't trust anything you're hearing. And yeah. I think that's really good. But then we also, after that, get this moment of kind of human interaction where they have that argument, which I really, really liked. Yeah. Very married mm-hmm. couple argument. Yeah. And also just like yeah. so funny. Like one of the funniest yeah. scenes of the whole movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I like how he's like, how do you eat grass without teeth? And yes. it's like, what? And he's like, you know how you eat grass without teeth? You rip it out and you swallow it. Swallow it. <laughs> and something like that. Like, like, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't I, don't I don't know about that. <laughs> so what do you think about kind of the parallels between the real Winslow, the old foreman, and then Wake, and you know how how Winslow talks about they were both always ragging on him, and they're kind of mm-hmm. similarly similar types of figures. I think it really predicts what's about to come, and I think it speaks to like Natalie had pointed out earlier that this seagull, in a lot of ways, parallels interactions with Wake, and Winslow's reaction is always to jump to violence, and I think. That would make sense once you find out that his foreman apparently had the same name as him and he's been seeing a dead body and, you know, you probably infer he probably killed him, right? Mm-hmm. Well, see, that's what I'm wondering. Like, did he kill him or is his story, is his story I'm, right? That he just kind question. of let him die? Also, did he have a relationship with his foreman? Then it becomes a, do you think that him letting him die is, is not like killing murder? Him. When right. in a lot of ways, it kind of is. It kind I mean, of is, it is, but he does, that. you know, he says like he had the hook in his hand and he could have easily, yeah, very directly I know, but that's killed just him, him trying to make himself feel better. If I were the yeah. foreman, I'd be like, that bitch killed me. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Winslow, you dog. Or not Winslow, <laughs> Tom, you dog. I just spill your beans. <laughs> <laughs> the parallel, I think, is just meant to like drive home like this lurking, violent nature in Winslow. Mm hmm. Well, also that, like, everything in itself is kind of cyclical. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's always the same story over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Winslow's also repeating, like, going insane. Mm -hmm. I guess my question is, you know, since you kind of infer that there's some sort of relationship going on between Wake and Winslow, do you think that Winslow had a somewhat sexual relationship with his old foreman as well? Well, I think it's completely possible. Yeah, I genuinely have no idea. But but also, like, potentially really liked him, but resented him because of the way he was treated, but he kind of liked mm-hmm. that. Or, you know, like, the fact that he took his name after he died signifies well, maybe that there was a bit... He yeah, says Daddy it is, but there might be a little bit more going on there. Like, I feel like you wouldn't just take the name of someone you hate and just assume their identity because it's easy for you. It's convenient. I mean, it is convenient, but it seems a little bit like... Maybe there was more to that relationship than he was letting on. I mean, not necessarily. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't read it like that personally. I mean, did you guys watch Mad Men? No. Okay. Yes. Spoilers for Mad Men. Okay. I mean, Don Draper does that in Mad Men. Oh. 
mean, Dread Pirate Roberts that in that's not Clyde. the same. It's not the same thing. I know it's not the same thing, but I'm just sharing. I mean, <laughs> but he doesn't hate the guy. <laughs> that was just like a partner in battle or whatever. It's no, not like- exactly. It was an opportunistic thing. It wasn't yeah. like. And I think that's what Heidi is saying. This is kind of like the same situation where he saw a chance to start over and that's why he took the name. Like, I don't think that he would take Wake's name after this. No. Well, here's my other question. Did he take Thomas's name? Like, is his name actually Thomas or did he just kind of how he took E from Winslow's name? Did he just take Thomas's name? That's the question. I think that his name actually is Thomas and I think I that it is it means something. Because I'm wondering, like, I'm wondering why they have the same name. That Online, there, there's like a theory that they're the same person, which I think is dumb. But yeah, I considered that. But yeah, I think it's more like a I think it kind of points more to the cyclical nature of everything and like yeah. how we see ourselves reflected in other people, especially during times of stress yeah. and in this like isolated area, because mm-hmm. like they're they're having a lot of the same parallel thoughts and desires and issues and they're reacting in a lot of the exact same ways, just specific to their personality type in a lot of ways. So, I mean, there's that whole scene where they just go, what, what? So here's what what made me think this in the first place on the Wikipedia page under themes, homoeroticism. There's a, a couple sentences that say this person last name Barton wrote this article about, how homoeroticism is present in the film. And it says Barton interprets Howard's name change to his previous deceased boss as indicative of a more intimate relationship. Quote, considering the act of Tommy taking his name, this behavior suggests a tender and affectionate attitude, almost like the tradition of taking your partner's name after marriage. That's what made me think of that. I mean, that's, that's fair. And I think that you could interpret it that way, but that's not necessarily how I interpreted it. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like that, That isn't usually why people would take other people's name. Like, a dead person's name. I think it's more about identity. Yeah. But I do think that the intimacy of him sharing his secret and spilling his beans also (laughs) speaks to the... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was just a genuine question. I don't Vulnerability in their relationship, which lends itself to a homoerotic... Yeah, I mean, he does say, like, I trust you. I trust you, Tom. And that's definitely being, yeah, vulnerable with him. And he's like, Mm -hmm. fuck, don't trust me. Like, I don't want to hear your shit. (laughs) Because, like, I don't outright think that... I I think that if you were to ask these men, are you gay? They would say no. No. And I think that that's kind of also a very inextricable part of this narrative. That idea, that sort of, like, masculine grip on sexuality... Even mm-hmm. the way they fight over the light and the light being gendered feminine, mm-hmm. it becomes a sort of territorial, like, we must get the woman kind of thing. And whereas because of that, you see a lot of them ignoring a lot of the homoerotic interactions they're having mm-hmm. and discounting a lot of those moments. Yeah. And the fact that we're seeing these instances of, like, intense vulnerability mm-hmm. paired with this almost immediate flip turn into, like, violence shows yeah. that how that power struggle kind of lends itself to that homoerotic vibe. As you said, as you said in last episode, sex is power. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Everything is sex except sex, which is power. Yeah. Well, what do you think about then? What do you think about the mermaid being paired with the images of the foreman? 
do you not see a kind of sexual connection in that way? I mean, because I, I think that you could did. also, though, I think it could be 100% read the way you're saying, but I yeah. think it could also be read as the mermaid, the tentacles, the foreman all are inextricably linked because all of them are linked to power, which is linked to sex. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. think also, I don't think any of us would say that there's not potential that Winslow was attracted Oh, the real Winslow. Yeah, I'm not saying it's, like, not happening. That's just not how I read it. I just don't... I don't think that he took the name because he was attracted to Winslow. Like, I don't think there was, like, a romantic gesture in that or, like, any kind of intimacy. It was just, like, this is my opportunity to start over. Start fresh. Okay. Also, I think even though he found him attractive, probably, he did not like that guy. Yeah, and again, I I was just kind of interrogating it because I don't really know. And I was like, well, maybe he... If he likes kind of having the submissive role, maybe he liked that, you know, he kind of resented him, but also liked mm-hmm. him at the same time. I don't know. Which is the same kind of relationship he has with Wake, which I think is valid. Right. Which is why I was like, well, if the parallels are there, can I can I read it this way? I don't really know. So, yeah. But there's also that, that scene at the end where, well, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but where they're kind of wrestling, they're fighting on the ground and Winslow's yeah. basically beating him to death. And mm-hmm. you see you see the foreman who morphs into the mermaid and then oh, yeah, morphs yeah. into Wake. So it was mm-hmm. kinda like you see the foreman and then there's she's very sexually touching his neck and mm-hmm. yeah. he's kind of like entranced by her and then mm-hmm. he becomes Wake, who he also similarly the might be entranced by. Romanticization so, of abuse. I mean that too. But yeah, I was like, there's, I don't know. It seemed like there was a reason that all three of those people would be shown in succession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't exactly know why that is. So. Well, I think that we've been talking around it this whole time. I don't think there's like one direct way to read it, but I think no. it's everything that we've been saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that's intentional. Like, I think they yeah. intentionally put in all of the mythological stuff. They put in all of the sexual stuff, all of the psychoanalysis, like, all of that kind of builds to a picture, but that picture is incomplete in its narrative. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're looking at a Monet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also like the director's intention was like, I don't want yeah, to give exactly. you answers. I'm just here to, I'm here to ask yeah. questions, which right. is so frustrating and very directory, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. And normally I'm more frustrated by movies like this, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There's something about this that I think, like, I, I don't leave it thinking, I'm supposed to understand what this is about, and I just don't. That's yeah. frustrating. But when I leave thinking, I don't think anyone's supposed to really get this, and you're just supposed to kind of come up with your own interpretation, mm-hmm. that's more palatable to me, yeah. because I don't feel like I'm missing something. Yeah. Yeah. Driven mad with insatiable curiosity, Winslow tries to break into the area with the light, but he breaks his kitchen knife while trying to do so. One so he more. then tries to go <laughs> unlock the cabinet. He does manage to get that open, but the logbook is mysteriously missing. He finds it splayed open across Wake's chest, who has fallen asleep with it. Winslow sneaks over, very quietly, and decides to get the lighthouse keys, which are out next to Wake's body. As he reaches for them, with the knife, the floor creaks, and Wake's eyes shoot open. Defeated by his failure... Winslow lashes out and calls Wake something less than human before going to return to his duties. While working, he fantasizes about having sex with that mermaid, but his thoughts are interrupted by recollections of a blonde man and even believes he finds a severed head in the lobster box. 
Do you guys think that was real? What, the head? The head. <sighs> no. No, probably not. It's also, I should have pointed out, it's a one-eyed head. Let's just, let's just get that But the out thing there. is, I don't even know, I don't even know if the second Light Keeper ever existed, what happened to him, who I mean, killed him, if anyone had killed to him. Have existed. I don't know if at the beginning, Wake was like prophesizing and saying, when he was talking about his second being enchanted by the light and all of that, I don't know if he was kind of foretelling Winslow's future. I genuinely have no idea what's going on with the second. I have no idea. <laughs> I also have no idea. I believe wholeheartedly that there was a person before Winslow that went crazy. Easily. There's evidence to that because, you know, we have we have the mermaid. You know, it's it's not the best evidence, but there's the mermaid. It could have been the people who just left, but it could have been, you know, the other seconds. Who knows? So I definitely think that he's at least telling some truth about the person before Winslow. But I'm not sure the head in the lobster pot was real. I yeah. thought he was like hallucinating it. I kind of did too. And the yeah. other part of me thought that maybe it was like the head from somebody like the relief ship, for example. Like they had tried to come get them, got into a shipwreck, and the head is there. I feel like that's a little too much. I also think it's a little too much, but... Since you brought to my attention that the seagull had one eye, maybe, you know, he's thinking about he mm -hmm. killed the seagull, and the seagull's supposed yeah. to house the soul of a sailor who died at sea, and maybe he hallucinates this head because he's thinking about yeah. how he killed the seagull. And the head yeah. does have one eye. That's the best I have for that. Yeah, that's true. So during another night of sea shanties and partying, Winslow tries to open up to Wake. Wake doesn't want to hear the story, but Winslow continues on anyway. And he reveals to Wake much Those of what we said before. Me, lad. <laughs> Winslow reveals that his name is not really Ephraim Winslow, but is instead Thomas Howard. Winslow was his foreman when he was a logger a blonde man who fell into the river on the job. And instead of saving him, Thomas Howard just let him drown and then assumed the identity of Ephraim Winslow. So no one could tell him what for. <laughs> <laughs> and after this, like after he's done telling his story, he realizes Wake is not there. And in this drunken stupor, he hears Wake asking, why did you have to spill your beans? It's really spooky. Yeah. Why Much spookier than I just beans? said. Why just spill your beans? Oh my god. It's really Why spooky. <laughs> yeah, and like the thing is we don't even know we don't even know if he was in the room when Winslow was saying all of this. He might have been completely yeah. just somewhere else, and that's why he can't find him. So who knows? Who knows? But Winslow goes to try to find Wake and finds himself on that overlook by the light where he believes he sees the body of the real Ephraim Winslow, the blonde guy. But when he turns him over, he just sees his own face. Just then, he is grabbed by a naked wake, who looks at him with bright, glowing eyes. Hallucinations again! Yay! At this point, they're drinking so much that, like, who knows? You know what yeah. I mean? Exactly, exactly. Like, <laughs> like, you have no idea what the fuck's going on, what's yeah. truly happening. Yeah, the shots of them, like, guzzling a bottle of whatever. It's, like, spilling know, all like over just their face. They're fucking wasting it. They're gonna die. Oh, my yeah. God. And it's just spilling, and they're, like, looking at each other. Like, they don't want to be the first one to stop. Power mm -hmm. struggle. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I'm more masculine than you. It's all foreplay. It literally (laughs) is, though. Okay, did you guys think they were going to kiss at some point? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was a botched kiss. I read somewhere that people were like, maybe it was when they were slow dancing. Yeah. But I was like, I didn't think they were going to kiss. I remember thinking it more in the theater than I did the second rewatch, but I was like, are they going to? Oh, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) The director himself, I read an interview where he was like, yeah, that was kind of a botched kiss. It goes from the slow dancing of immediately to the fighting. It's that vulnerability followed up by violence. Yeah, because men can't be vulnerable and show their emotions. Yeah, and apparently some people thought that the little fight after it was more erotic than the almost kiss. Sometimes sometimes you just gotta slow dance with your bro. You know what I mean? That's fair. So Winslow tries to take the lifeboat out, but Wake runs up and takes an axe to the boat, refusing to let... I'm Don't sorry. Leave me. I'm sorry. Did we mention the other time where he's masturbating and then he like cries at the end? Oh no, I think I skipped. That. Oh, and then he freaks out and stabs he the, the he smashes yeah. the mermaid. I did not write that in there. God, if we we literally cannot talk about this movie without mentioning every single scene. Yeah, that, we yeah, need to. Literally, I was like, that's not that important. <laughs> Apparently, I was wrong. Well, I, just think, I think it's interesting how he's like fantasizing about the mermaid, but then it's cut with again images of the foreman and then he's like obviously having a hard time mm-hmm. and then he yeah. like cries out at the end yeah. and like drops to like his knees genuinely is self-abusing it's like mm-hmm. are you good are you gonna it's... rip it off like <laughs> yeah it's very uncomfortable and then yeah he like destroys the charm because he thinks it's somehow wake is somehow using it to control him kind of it reminds me of wow. in the innocence remember in the innocence where she's like, I just have to have them say it and then yes. we'll be free. It's like, yes. he's just making shit up at this point. He's well, like, this'll fix it. <laughs> it's like another one of those things where it's like, okay, he could be fantasizing about the mermaid, but then thinking about the foreman and like his guilty conscience is kind of turning him off. Or he's wanting to think about the foreman and feeling guilty about that and trying to think about the mermaid instead. And then he's like mad rubbing on that. Is coming to terms with his sexuality, maybe. I don't know. I feel like it could be read either way. Yeah. So Who knows? That's also kind of confusing. And then it's also really weird that when he like screams when he orgasms, it sounds like the mermaid. I didn't notice I that. I don't remember. I don't remember. I only remember that because I hated that sound. <laughs> so every time it happened, I was like, I hate this. It has a higher pitch. Yeah. Oh, keep going. Anyway, so the life, okay. the lifeboat. So yeah, so Wake runs up and is like, don't leave me, and takes an axe to the lifeboat, and then threatens to report Winslow for trying to abandon his post and report what he's done. And it's also really interesting in this scene, too, that Wake is like, I didn't destroy that lifeboat. You did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so fun. I yeah. loved that. He was like, you destroyed the lifeboat and then threatened me with an axe. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I was like, "Fucking did he?" I also love how he. Who knows? He walks in and just throws the axe into the table and just leaves it there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, it's wild. So Winslow tries to save face and says, "If Wake's going to tell everyone his secrets, then he's going to tell everyone the truth about what happened to Wake's former second, believing that the head that he found in the lobster pot must have belonged to that one-eyed man." Wake manages to talk him down and takes the broken knife from him. He then asks Winslow to help him remember how long they've been here and insists that all of Winslow's hallucinations must be from his guilty conscience after letting the real Ephraim Winslow die. 
How long Luke's have like, we been on this rock? like, I don't know, fucking maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I love how, yeah, he's like, well, you know, I could just be a figment of your imagination. And yeah. I also like how he so seriously uses the phrase spilling your beans. He's like, he does. No, af- after you your spilled beans. your beans, you know. <laughs> Dude, if you hadn't spilled your fucking beans, everything would be fine. But yeah, I just love how that's like part of his vocabulary. I love that there's that insinuation too that like the story that he told about not saving that person, just letting them die, would have like been so embarrassing to a nun. He didn't like mm-hmm. kill him. He just was like, nah. Well, I mean, based on what we said earlier, though, he kind of, in the same way, killed him by not saving yeah, him. Still killed him. It just, it just feels like he's grossly exaggerating. Yeah, I agree that I don't think a saint would swear. No, but I think he's just trying to kind of make him really think that what he confessed is something that is super it's egregious. The worst. And yeah. honestly, how do we know what he said wasn't worse than what than what we heard from Winslow? We don't even know what we he don't. really said. Because Winslow could have just told himself in his brain, you didn't kill him, he just drowned by himself. Mm-hmm. So they're out of alcohol now. And so Winslow gets this great idea to mix them up some turpentine. Winslow mixes them up some turpentine, a.k.a. paint thinner, and honey to survive on while the storm outside continues to worsen and rage on. And they're like drunk under this table when the cottage floods. And in the morning, Winslow finds Wake's logbook amidst the disastrous interior. In it, we think, Wake describes Winslow (laughs) as a drunk who should be fired without pay. Winslow confronts him about what he wrote and goes off about how Wake is a liar and demanding and farts all the time. You goddamn farts! (laughs) I'm so sick of your stink! Oh boy, you sound like dead dick. Whatever yeah. he said, you're like, dick. You sound, you sound like somebody like dipped foreskin in like onions or something. It's oh weird. yeah, hot onions in a shit yard farmhouse or something like it's that. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah it's nasty. It's very like an evocative image. You liar. <laughs> Wake formally relieves Winslow of his duties, but Winslow like begs to be shown the light and have a second chance. Daddy. Daddy. Wake shoots him (laughs) down, calling Winslow a dog and a failure, and Winslow attacks him. While Winslow tries to wrestle him down, he hallucinates seeing Wake as the real Ephraim Winslow, the mermaid, and then a tentacled shape-shifting god. Which is cool, cool makeup. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Finally, Winslow lets up when he hears Wake crying that Winslow is killing him. Winslow then ties a rope around Wake's neck and treats him like a dog and takes him on a walk. Kinky. Wake crawls on all fours and Winslow orders him to get into a deep hole. Winslow then begins to bury Wake alive. And Wake's like giving this really cool monologue through this whole scene. But when he goes quiet, Winslow crawls into the hole and retrieves the lighthouse keys. For one second, when he went to go back into the hole, I was like, oh my god, is he guilty? But then he just took the keys and I was I like, know. lol. I thought that too. Yeah, you think he's gonna like comfort him or something like that. Like, oh, what have I done? Like, yoink. He's like, nah, yoink. (laughs) Exactly. Obviously, the other thing that was cool with that scene was the role reversal. So he becomes kind of the the master in a sense who is Mm -hmm. kind of dominating. Wake. Yeah, yeah. In the hole where you belong. 
so wild. Yeah, he even like takes on Wake's mannerisms a little bit when he's talking to him. Yeah. yeah. I also wonder what they're using to bury him because I want it to be like crumbled up cookies that he's eating while he's giving this monologue. Because mm-hmm. he's yeah. like chewing on something. I googled it because Nick and I were wondering. It was real dirt. Oh, they, it like, was really, real dirt. They fucked Defoe. everything up real big. You dog. <laughs> Imagine delivering <laughs> that. Way. I mean, he's getting like shit in his eyes and his nose. I mean, there's yeah. microorganisms in that. You don't want that in your face. Yeah. Laura and her microorganisms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always thinking. So Winslow goes to get lantern oil for the light. And Wake suddenly returns and attacks him with an axe. But Winslow just like straight up kills Wake for good at this point. That was a good fun scene. We love it. I also yeah. didn't notice the first time that he goes back. Like he goes into the lighthouse and then he goes back to the shanty. I'm yes. like, why did he do that? He gets a smoke. He's going back for a smoke. I I'm thought he went sure. to grab the oil. He goes for cigarettes and then. Oh, that's right. And also because he tells that story about all he wanted after yeah. he killed Winslow was, was a, a smoke. smoke. Yeah, so I didn't notice that at first. I think he's also getting oil, but he's like, he goes back for that little bag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Winslow takes a long drink of this turpentine and honey and then makes his way. Turpentine. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) He then (laughs) makes his way to the light at last. Covered in blood and dirt and who knows what else, Winslow finally stands before the light. He screams out in agony or maybe ecstasy. For he then falls down all those stairs to the bottom. And next we see Winslow. There's like a rope around his waist, apparently tying him down on the beach. His eyeballs are gone and the gulls are eating his organs. Which like, honestly, like really threw me the first time I saw it. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I guess I could just go off on this if you wanted to. Yeah. Like your interpretation. Yeah, please do. All right. So... That, like, last scene, I think, really, for me, like, makes the whole movie make sense. If you know anything about mythology, apparently the internet really does, you know that Prometheus, because he brought fire to humanity, was forced to, like, be chained to a rock and have his organs pecked out by eagles every day. Which Mm -hmm. is exactly what is happening at the end of this film. Mm-hmm. Now, Prometheus stole fire from the gods. Is that right? Was Prometheus a god? I can't remember. Prometheus is a god-like figure. If he's not a god, he's like a, like like close a demigod to it. or like a. Yeah, I think he is a god. Okay, I think he's a god, but he's not as much of a god as Zeus. Well, Zeus is like the son of a titan. Yeah, but anyway, there's like debate too about like if it was literal fire or if fire is like a metaphor for knowledge. In the book. Cersei that I read earlier mm-hmm. this year like last year they talk about it and he basically taught them how to make fire and it gave them knowledge like that was what they were angry with him about yeah it's 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 all about knowledge knowledge is power mm-hmm. everyone which actually brings us then to like his foil in this who is the god known as Proteus now Proteus is like a son of Triton and he's not like a super popular god they talk about him in like the Odyssey a little bit But what's really interesting about Proteus is that he is known as the old man of the sea, which makes a lot of sense because Wake is old and insane. (laughs) And old people are all senile. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. (laughs) And like to fart. (laughs) 
<laughs> Proteus also was a reluctant seer who hardly ever told the truth unless he was caught and forced. You had to like wrestle him to the ground, which was made especially hard because he was also a shapeshifter. Nice. Mm. So when we see him up by the light and he's like jerking off and then there's the octopus tentacle. That seems like a clear inference that like, oh, this is Proteus. And also when we see him again in that like hallucination. And I had actually read like an interview where Robert Eggers and his brother talked about like Prometheus and Proteus were their inspirations and like the way that they modeled these characters. And Prometheus Mm -hmm. and Proteus never actually interacted in mythology but I think we're seeing like this trend now where people like to reimagine myths and put people together that wouldn't normally like Hades Town, which is great. And everybody should watch it and listen to it. But after I discovered that the rest of the film, like I kind of felt like, is there more to it? Or was this just like a fun little character experience? Which is why there's not a lot more notes that I had. So I was like, cool, cracked it. <laughs> Done. Close the book. <laughs> But I still like... But yeah, the mythology in it is really cool, though. What is the knowledge that he... He doesn't get... Does he get knowledge? Is there... What's the knowledge? Well, it's like the light is like fire. It's like a, a symbolic I mean, it knowledge. it burns his eyes out. You know? Uh, it does burn his eyes out. Okay, I get it. But yeah, no, it's like a symbol. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like a symbol. <laughs> like, Natalie, like I know that this might be a little much for you, but it's like a metaphor. <laughs> I'm really sorry, Natalie. You're not dumb. <laughs> You're not dumb. I'm so sorry. Try to wrap your head around that. I cannot. <laughs> I cannot. I I know that this is like a super deep read, but I need you I to just cannot. take this one step with me. Oh God. <sighs> but yeah, so like if you just imagine it as like prometheus's struggle to try to get this light it all kind of just makes sense and you know prometheus is a trickster god he lies all the time Mm -hmm. so you know slippery winslow lies all the time as well and you know what so does proteus so they're really just a bunch of lying bastards on this rock yo bitch bastards in a basket (laughs) (laughs) oh and i also wrote this note that like you know when they're like crossing into the fog yeah at the very beginning yeah. It reminds me of the Mascara from Wonder Woman. You're entering into this like fabled place. You're like entering into like a mythological area that is separate and like anything could happen. Oh, that was kind of fun. Anything could happen on Love Island. On Love Island. <laughs> Isn't that what it's called? <laughs> I don't know. That, that reality TV Wait, show is that where people are in the lighthouse Love Isn't Island. Oh, that's Isn't so that a funny. Thing? I... Yes, it is. <laughs> so funny. I've never watched it, but it just makes. I've me never think watched of that. it either. But somebody needs to make like a like a Love Island like <laughs> last episode on thing, but like with this movie, that'd be so fucking funny. <laughs> oh my god, that would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> okay. So that was it for my mythology. What do you got for us, Laura? If you've made it this far. I have some things for you that may make you want to stop listening, but... Oh, God. Please hold on (laughs) while I... You're not selling me on this. (laughs) Okay. 
I'm like really, really screaming that I'm just over here like, dude, this is gay. Dude, this is about identity and masculinity <laughs> and power. It and is. Then, I mean, it is. And then Heidi's like, actually, it's a metaphor for Prometheus and Proteus. And then you're like, okay, guys. Um. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it is all of these things. It is it all canonically. of these things. It's just it funny is. how all three of us are like, I got a different thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Go for it, So girl. here's the thing. This all started when I read that Robert Eggers said he was heavily influenced by Carl Jung and his psychoanalytical theory. The more we say Robert Eggers, the less real it sounds. I know. I took a class on the personality of psychology and we talked a little bit about Jung. So I still, believe it or not, you probably believe it, have my notes from that class. And I (laughs) I took them out and I read over them. So... Basically, Carl Jung was a Swiss psychoanalyst slash psychologist. He was a disciple of Freud, kind of. And he was supposed to be Freud's successor in the whole psychoanalytical theory. But he kind of took Freud's ideas and went in a very different direction from them. So they kind of call him like neo-Freudian. But anyway, Eckers said that he was really heavily influenced by Carl Jung. So I kind of looked into his some of his major theories. And one of them was his idea of these archetypes that span across times and places. So one of them is the persona, which is kind of like the social face or the mask that a person presents mm-hmm. to the world. But in doing that, they conceal their true nature. Yeah. So kind of the idea behind that is that there's no quote unquote real you. It's like you're only wearing a bunch of mm-hmm. different masks. So how do you know who the real you is? So in that sense, I kind of saw Winslow as having different personas because he's taking these different jobs and he can't really Mm -hmm. find one that he takes a shine to is the way he puts it. That makes a lot of sense. He's trying on these different masks in attempt to discover his true identity and his true self, but Mm -hmm. kind of failing in doing that. And he's also taking other people's names, like his old foreman, as we said, and adopting that identity. So we don't really know who Winslow is. And I think Wake even says that at one point, like who is Ephraim Winslow or Thomas Howard? So that was kind of the persona. Mm -hmm. But then the big archetype that I saw that like shaped my whole understanding of the film was the shadow. So the shadow represents repressed, unconscious aspects of the personality. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the dark, unknown side Mm -hmm. that each person has. Mm -hmm. So it plays a big role in balancing the psyche. It's like the counterbalance to consciousness. And there's even a mm-hmm. quote, I think it's from Jung, that says, where there is light, there must also be shadow. You know what's really funny about this? Yeah. I was going to start taking notes about all the shadows in the film. Oh, there are so and many. I didn't. And I there are didn't. so many. And then I didn't because I didn't want to go off about shadows because the well, film's in black and white. <laughs> I'm here for you. That's what I'm here to do. Because then, so yeah, glad. the black and white the black and white really made sense. Like, oh, you know, this is really highlighting the yeah. shadows, the play that the shadows have in the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't that doesn't make sense. But I know what you mean. Yeah, like you see his shadow on the wall and you see it when he's outside at certain points in time. Mm-hmm. So the shadow is composed of traits that people reject or ignore. So they kind of represent the negative or the least desirable aspects of personality. So some examples would be like repressed ideas or weaknesses or desires. Would you consider their gay love for each other repressed desires? (laughs) I would. I would. I would very much indeed. I would not. No, I would would not. (laughs) I'm so here for you right now. Thank you. So 
one of the parts of that theory is that people don't want to confront their shadows. So when mm-hmm. they when that happens, something called psychological projection happens, which I'm sure you, yeah. you know what that is, but it's a kind of like people unknowingly project their own qualities onto others, but that keeps them blind to the truth that those are their own qualities. Dude, mm-hmm. that is that. Oh my God. <laughs> That's what you wrote down. Natalie. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I, wait, you wrote this down? I kind of did. But in a yeah. very roundabout way, because mm-hmm. I wrote some stuff down about how, because they're doing a lot of the same things, you know, like lying and gaslighting each other and just like acting the same way towards each other and they have the same name that they're projecting their qualities onto each other. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and even Wake even calls Winslow out at the end. He's like, you're just pretending you're lying to yourself, basically. Yeah. Which makes me mm-hmm. think that, like, maybe everything that he writes in the logbook is true. That Winslow has been kind of shirking his duties and drinking too much, but he just doesn't want to own up to it. Yeah, too he much self You know, it's, it's still part of his unconscious. So, yeah. So throughout the film, I saw the conflict between Winslow and his shadow. You know, the fact that he has mm-hmm. a guilty conscience. He has these repressed desires. He's really pushing back against that identity as, like, people calling him a dog because yeah. he doesn't he doesn't want to acknowledge that he's kind of a dog um mm-hmm. so he projects those qualities onto wake like he calls him a drunk and a liar and when he says he's no longer human and only tolerable when he's drunk it's kind of like he's almost talking about himself because that's yeah, around the time sure. where he's drinking a lot and no longer recognizable so by projecting he's lying to himself which wake calls mm-hmm. him out on i mean in a lot of ways you could also kind of potentially think about the way that because obviously we're seeing everything from Winslow's perspective so when we see the way that Wake is interacting with the lighthouse it's happening from Winslow's perspective Mm -hmm. so the fact that Wake has such a sort of religious adulation for the light might Mm -hmm, kind of mm -hmm. be a way of Winslow projecting his own feelings towards the light on to wake because mm-hmm. it's something that's unattainable mm-hmm. and thus takes on a greater power. So kind of the turning point in all of this is when he spills his beans. <laughs> because I <laughs> because I think at that point he's coming to terms with his past and himself and he's shedding his persona and in Jungian theory that's kind of a big step in psychotherapy is when a person sheds their persona and realizes the kind of masks that they've been wearing that kind of sets in motion an encounter with the shadow which requires a descent into a person's own darkness so a descent into madness in this case so with all of that in mind i read the light as the representation of an encounter with the shadow like this desire to be around the light and to tend the light is kind of a desire to for Winslow to come to terms with his own shadow, and it kind of represents the light of consciousness, like being able to recognize your unconscious thoughts and desires and come to terms with those. So there's a quote that I found from Jung that says, when an individual makes an attempt to see his shadow, he becomes aware of and often ashamed of those qualities and impulses he denies in himself, but can plainly see in others. So I kind of read the part when Winslow sees the light 
I thought it was interesting because his face is dark. You know, he's covered in blood, mm-hmm. but it looks like shadowy. So his mm-hmm. face is dark and it's then illuminated by the light. So in that scene, he's he's encountering the shadow, encountering the light of consciousness and kind of realizing all of these unconscious things that are going on in his mind and having those fully brought to the surface. And he's, the laugh is, like you said, Heidi, kind of like ecstasy, but also horror. Mm-hmm. And then him falling down the stairs represents his descent back into his own darkness. So that's how I read it. That's really cool. I think it definitely hit the nail on the head. I think that both of these reads of the film really highlight things that we all... Okay, well, by we all, I mean me, because I didn't come up with the music (laughs) of the film. Highlight things that I, Natalie, picked up on and saw as like themes in the film because when i wrote okay this is my theme list are you ready yeah masculinity power alcoholism slash escapism isolation madness mythology and then identity and underneath that i put perception and presentation <laughs> yeah solid list i mean that's the film in exactly a so i was yeah. i'm like okay so i had all the i had all the little pieces just not how to put them together. Like when I was thinking about the mythology aspect, I knew I got the Prometheus thing a little bit, but I didn't mm-hmm. research it at all. So I didn't know enough about it to mm-hmm. like really Same. be able to make like a yeah. thing about it. But what I actually thought was interesting in terms of mythology for the film was the way that the characters use mythology in the film. So like yeah. the sea superstitions, the stories about the old second even like the imagery that we see so like the tentacles the mermaid all of that is pulled from seafaring lore yeah (laughs) and from like proteus himself yeah so like this idea that all of that was so hardwired into the film was what Mm -hmm. made me think of it in the first place so it's cool to like see the stuff that i wrote down and the stuff that i was seeing just fleshed out into like actual interpretations of the film I mean, after I first saw it, I remember just having a lot of thoughts, but no, no real way to organize them. Even now, like Mm -hmm. the whole Jungian archetypes thing is just my main point, really the only fleshed out point that I have. The rest of my notes are just like, what is this? Why is this happening? So it's Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's kind of like a film that you see and you don't, at least for me, don't really know how to put the pieces together for a while. And until you talk to other people. Like, mm-hmm. trying to interpret that in isolation is really hard. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Which is why I liked that we would we were going to talk about it, because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah. And I'm not going to know until I talk about it with other people. I feel like I, feel like I get it. I'm like, yeah, conquered the lighthouse. After talking to you guys, I feel much more assured in the stuff that I saw in the film. And, like, I feel like I could explain it to another person now. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, like, I think that, you know, whatever you take away from this film, because there's so much that you could potentially take away from it, like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter, because at the end of the day, it's kind of about that intensity of the isolation and intensity of the Madison, the ambiguity that comes from that, which is what makes Mm -hmm. it fun and honestly what makes it a horror film to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. If you made it all the way to the end of this episode, thank you so much. Congratulations. Congratulations. I hope that you enjoyed you it. You won a prize. Um, <laughs> knowledge. It was it was the light herself. It's a symbol. <laughs>
thank you for spilling your beans with us today and obviously let us know what you thought if you had thoughts about the movie that you want to mention to us that we didn't touch on please reach out to us um we are found on instagram at slash prefer blondes podcast please leave us a review on the podcasting app of your choice and rate us and next week we're wrapping back around to another Laura pick. Laura, do you want to tell us what we're going to do next time? I said next week, but I don't really know how often we're going to post this. So next time. Next time. Next time on The Lighthouse Love Island. <laughs> uh, we, <laughs> we are going to watch The Autopsy of Jane Doe, which is a, yeah. 20, a 2016 horror thriller film. So I'm excited to talk about it. It's definitely one that I mm-hmm. I went in with low expectations and they were they were greatly exceeded. And unlike The Lighthouse, this one is a very easy watch. So <laughs> pop some popcorn, yeah. take a seat back, and get ready for a fun time. Because this is a fun movie. It's, a fun it's not movie. a fun movie in the way that like Slither is a fun movie, but it is a fun movie. I really enjoyed it. It's also surprisingly creepy. Yeah. So like, be prepared. There's some scary yeah. stuff. It's good. It's so good okay yeah so oh my god thank you guys so much for listening um we love you and we are so grateful to have you listening to our podcast so don't go spilling your beans don't go spilling your beans we'll see you next time (laughs) 